Well, please follow along on the screens this morning as I read our scripture from the inspired and authoritative Word of God. This is Jesus himself speaking to us how to pray. It says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you're taking your seat, I want to say hi to everyone here in Knox Hall and those joining us by video feed in the sanctuary or online or listening by radio today. Wonderful to be together as the church. And we find ourselves uh, in the season of Lent. And as Scott mentioned, we will be looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, throughout the season of Lent together. And, and, and this, this prayer we have prayed uh, through the centuries uh, and it's been passed down to the next generation after that. And today we're going to be looking at a very important topic, part of this prayer that Jesus mentions, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This profound and rich phrase that is thread throughout the Bible and its implications for us today. And so we first need to see what is the kingdom. Second, how do we miss it? Third, how do we enter it? What is it? How do we miss it? How do we enter it? What is the kingdom of God? Well, we, we struggle with this word kingdom uh, because for, for modern people, we, we don't understand the reality of what it means to live in a kingdom. Uh, but throughout the Bible, there is this thread of this theme called the kingdom. It actually begins in Genesis 1 and 2, and there's a, a really well-known Old Testament scholar named John Walton, uh, and he says when you read Genesis 1, uh, we need to read it in light of the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories, and that Genesis 1 isn't just giving us a picture of, of God creating this beautiful world, uh, but, but it's also teaching us to understand that this creation that God has made is God's temple on earth. Uh, in fact, Walton says that if we want to understand God's rest, uh, as it says at the end of the creation story, on the seventh day God rested, if we want to understand that, then we, uh, we must uh, place Genesis inside the worldview of its time. And so Walton uh, points out that to the ancient audience who would have heard this story, they knew that divine rest always happens in a temple. And a temple uh, itself becomes the place for this divine rest. So you could say the, the language of God's kingdom begins in the beginning. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of God is, is where what God says goes. It's his rule, it's his reign. And, and, uh, and Genesis 1 and 2 uh, show us this, this world where all creation, heaven and earth, are under the perfect rule of God. Uh, but sadly, we, we, we know where the story goes. And if you're familiar with Paul Harvey at all, you, this idea, we know the rest of the story, right? Uh, Adam and Eve fall uh, in the garden. The kingdom of God that was meant to bring peace and wholeness to all creation is lost. 
Uh, but what we see is, is God's continual pursuit throughout the Bible, this continual pursuit to be with his people. Uh, and, and in fact, at the end of Exodus, uh, God gives instructions to Moses of how to resurrect uh, a modified temple called the tabernacle. It says this in Exodus 50, or Exodus 40. Then, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's glory, his presence, comes into the tabernacle to dwell among his people. But what we notice is that entering this presence, entering this glory, is the culmination of grace and truth. Now, why do I say that? Well, Exodus 40 ends, and if you flip to the very next page in your Bible, you will be in the book of Leviticus. And maybe uh, you're going through a Bible in the year reading plan right now, and you are probably just about to get to Leviticus, or you've, you've already touched Leviticus just a little bit, which means your, your Bible reading plan for this year is about to crash and burn. And why is that? Because Leviticus is confusing. It's perplexing. We have no idea uh, what it's talking about or what's going on. But to an ancient Israelite, the book of Leviticus was their favorite book in all of the Bible because it taught them how to enter God's presence. They knew exactly how to enter God's glory. And Leviticus begins by God telling you, draw near to him. Enter my presence. Enter my kingdom. And friends, this was unheard of in the ancient world. The, the gods of the ancient world were, were distant and unpredictable. And you never knew where, where you stood. But this God uh, was not distant like the other gods. No, this God had drawn near. Radical love. Radical grace. God's saying, I'm not far away and impersonal like the other gods. I am closer than you possibly can imagine. But notice, right after God tells us to draw near, he tells us next in Leviticus, bring a sacrifice. Enter my presence, enter my kingdom, come before me, draw near, bring a sacrifice. Now, why, why, does, this, why does it say that? It, well, we just can't get the grace of God. He, he tells us to draw near. He, he comes near to us. We also have to get the truth of God, his holiness, uh, he tells us, enter my presence, enter my kingdom. And our first response should be, God, how can we do that? God, how can we? We, we stand as sinners before your perfection. Uh, we cannot stand in your presence. You are holy and we, we are not. But God tells us to bring a sacrifice. We have to see the truth. We have to confess the truth. Uh, that word confession actually in the Greek literally just means same word. To confess means to, same, to say the same word, to say the same word about who God is and the same word about who we are, to confess, to, to say and speak the truth. So God's kingdom comes in his presence, grace and truth, radical love, radical grace, radical holiness. So if this is what the kingdom of God is, his presence that draws near to us, it tabernacles with us, 
But notice it, it comes with grace and truth. God says, draw near, see my love, see my grace, see how close I will come to you, unlike the other gods. But God also says, bring a sacrifice. See the truth. See my perfection. You need a substitute. So if this kingdom is how the kingdom of God runs, the thread through the Bible, how, how do we miss it? Well, that brings us to the second point. Jesus in his prayer tells us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. How do we miss it? Well, we, we first miss the kingdom when our lives begin to revolve around a different kingdom that I will call the kingdom of self. I don't know if you are familiar with Frank Sinatra, but Frank always told us he did things a certain way. He did them one way, and what was it, if you know the song? He did it, what? My way, my way. We miss the kingdom, this life with God, because our prayer is different than Jesus' prayer. Jesus said uh, to pray, your kingdom come, but we end up praying, my kingdom come. Uh, in his book, The Real American Dream by Andrew Del Banco, uh, he's a professor at Columbia University in New York City. Um, uh, Del Banco tells that we are all looking for hope. Uh, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian here today, he, he says we're all looking for hope and, and we're looking for a kingdom to fix our life to, to, to place our hope in. And Del Banco, who keep in mind is not a Christian, Del Banco says... Uh, where we are looking for hope, particularly as modern Americans, is in the self. We've put our faith in this kingdom, and, and we can't assume this is just a modern issue. Actually, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote in 1880 these words, Every man is for himself. Every man is for himself. Emerson's telling us this is not a new issue, but a very old one. He tells us that there's this kingdom that has our presence. There's this kingdom that has our glory. Because essentially, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It was actually, it just means weight. Kavod in the ancient world was a monetary term. You could tell how much something was worth by how much it weighed. If it weighed a lot, it was worth a lot. This was the kavod. This was the glory you could tell by how much something was worth by how much it weighs. And you can tell in your own life what has your glory by how much it weighs. By what worries you, by what keeps you up at night, by what you work and claw and strive to get, by what distracts you. And this will vary from person to person, but there is this glory, there is this thing that has the weight in our life. Um, and I, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in North Carolina, born and raised, um, and I grew up in a home uh, that would become very staunch Carolina Panther football fans. Um, and so if you need to boo right now and get that out of your system, go, go ahead. It's okay. It's a safe place here. Um, we've, we've at least been to the Super Bowl in the last 60 years. Um, uh, my parents have uh, season tickets, and they've had season tickets since the start of the franchise in 1995 and I don't know what it is going into this next year I'm telling you right now I think we're going to win it all I, I just feel it uh, I, I just I, I think it's coming for us and um, we got a new football coach named Matt Rule and, and I, I read an article where, where Rule 
is telling his story about how his popularity grew as a football coach. He was a college football coach, and he was coaching at Temple University, and he had turned the football program around, and everybody's eyes are on him. Uh, he, he's receiving all these accolades. And as his fame is growing, uh, his marriage was beginning to fall apart. And he reached out to his, his father and told him that, I think that I'm done in my marriage with his wife, Julie. And Rule, uh, in his conversation with his dad, his father said to him, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of man do you want to be? And then he, he, he said, are you prepared to live in a world where there will be another man who raises your son? Are you prepared to live in a world where you will no longer be Julie's husband? And uh, Rule said that as he reflected on his life and the situation that he was in, he, he, he says this. Uh, you see, I wasn't cheating on my wife. I wasn't caught up in pornography. I wasn't caught up in all those things I thought could end a marriage. You see, I, was, I wasn't just chasing the wrong kingdoms in my life. The ultimate kingdom in my life was me. Do you hear what Rule is saying? He, he essentially says, my life began to unravel when I was on the throne. Uh, my life began to fall apart when I wanted to be king. I, I don't know if you've uh, seen the Disney movie Lion King, but Simba, who is the main character in the movie, he sings, sings a song, Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Do you know that song? I just can't wait to be king. But the reality for many of us, we are not waiting because in many respects, we are the king of our life. What has your glory? What, what, what has the weight in your life? And here's what I know, and the Bible spells this out really clear, especially in Genesis 2. When God's kingdom is at the center of your reality, rest and peace are sure to follow. But when you and your kingdom are at the center of your reality, rest and peace will never follow. It'll come in small doses, a new promotion, a new relationship, a new success, but they will never last. As Betsy Tim Boone says, the center of God's will is our only safety. The center of God's will is our only safety. You see, when we live in the kingdom of self, we get God's grace and love, but we don't get his truth. Uh, we, we don't get, we've usurped the king. We, we don't get that we stand under judgment for high treason. There is a true king to all the universe, and he is not us. And the kingdom of self will never satisfy, never deliver us, never fill us. You need to replace that king. We need to call for a political coup on ourselves. We need a resignation from office declaring that we are unfit to be king. But what some of you may do, and I want to catch you right now, I want to catch you before you go, go there. What some of you may, and some of you are actually are getting this right now, in your heart, in your soul, you're getting really honest with yourself, and you know that you're guilty of high treason. Uh, you, you've been living for something else, some kavod, some weight, some glory in your life, and you know that it has not brought you peace. Uh, there's, a, there's an unrest in your soul, and you're saying this morning, you're saying, you, you're right, Tyler. You're right. Today is a new day. I'm going to stop being bad, and I'm actually going to start being good. But I want to catch you before you go there, because you will actually end up missing the kingdom of God, 
and you will only find what I'm going to call the kingdom of religion. The kingdom of religion. You see, in the first century, Jesus is standing on a hillside in Galilee preaching this sermon on the mount. And the, the Jewish people of his day, they still believed themselves to be in exile. Uh, they had been in Babylon. They've now returned to their land. But the Roman Empire is still in charge of them in their own land. And so even though they've returned, they still see themselves in exile. And they're waiting for God's kingdom to come. But here's the crazy thing. During this time period, there was these different religious Jewish sects, and each of them had their own belief of how God's kingdom would actually come. They thought that their way was right, their religion was correct, and Jesus of Nazareth starts preaching on a hillside in Galilee, and these very good people who wanted God's kingdom to come wanted nothing to do with him. You see, religion becomes a hard ground. Have you ever tried to dig anything in the dead of winter in Michigan? And in much the same way, God's presence cannot be experienced unless that hard ground is broken up. You see, the kingdom of religion gets truth. Be a good person. Read your Bible. Follow the rules. Acknowledge that He is holy. Bring a sacrifice. But the kingdom of religion misses the grace that truly comes with God's kingdom. God's grace, it shatters our pride. It breaks the hard ground of our souls. And we see this, actually, in the life of Jonah. Uh, Pastor Scott talked a couple weeks ago uh, about how Jonah went to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah preached literally the worst sermon ever given. Which gives hope that as bad as you think this sermon is going this morning it could be a lot worse. He preached the worst sermon maybe ever given, and the whole city came to faith. Worst sermon ever given, whole city comes to faith. That's what we call preacher hope. But after Jonah preaches this sermon, he is upset with God. Jonah's upset with God for all things, God being too gracious. This is what it says at the end of the book of Jonah. He says this. Uh, jo jo Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah gets the truth of God's holiness, but not the grace. He wants nothing to do with the kingdom of God. I knew you would do this, God. I knew you would love them. I knew you would forgive them. I knew you would give them grace. I knew you would love them unconditionally. You see, Jonah thinks that the only people who will enter God's presence look an awful lot like him. His religion, his beliefs. Jonah prays, uh, your kingdom come, but what he really means is, my, my will be done. And don't you see in this scenario that God is not king, he is simply in our pockets. And you'll get to a place where, where you think your obedience, you have to earn his kingdom. Look, look at me, I, I come to church every week. I'm not like uh, those lazy pagan Ninevites, those, those North Villians, those Livonians. Certainly not those people in Babylon, also known as Ohio. 
There's a book that came out a few years ago called Toxic Faith, and the authors are are really looking at the kingdom of religion and the negative effects it has on our lives, and this is what uh, they write. All addicts crave something that will grant them the experience of wholeness, the experience of being significant, of having meaning and purpose. Those who refuse to risk throwing themselves wholly in the arms of God find it safer to pursue religious activity. The activity of religion becomes a drug, the quick fix of choice. It appears to be so admirable that it makes the addiction more deceptive than most. The writers are telling us the kingdom of religion will never satisfy. Don't you see, uh, the ground of our heart has become cold and we need God to break it up. In 1744, Nathan Cole, uh, who was practically illiterate, went to hear the famous George Whitfield preach in Middletown, Connecticut. And as Nathan Cole heard George Whitfield preach, he described his experience later. And he says this, By hearing him preach gave me a heart wound, and by God's grace my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness could not save me. The only way the kingdom will come in your life is when you see you don't achieve the kingdom, you receive it. Uh, You may be here this morning, uh, and you may have never fully understood or grasped the kingdom because you thought you had to achieve it. You've read your Bible, you've given to the church, and you, like Nathan Cole, need to see that your righteousness cannot save you. Is that you this morning? Have you thrown yourself fully and wholly in the arms of God? So the kingdom of self sees a gracious God but doesn't see the truth of who the true king of all the universe is. And the kingdom of religion sees the truth but it does not want the grace that this kingdom would bring to love inclusively anyone that would come to God. So you may be asking yourself, if this is the kingdom of God and the only way to experience true rest, eternal rest, this thread through all the Bible, God's kingdom brings rest, how do we enter it? How do we enter it? Well, that's our third point. How do we enter it? What we need to see is that the kingdom comes in the fullness of glory and presence through grace and truth only in one place. Only in one place. And only through one person. How do we enter it? The Apostle John tells us at the beginning of his gospel with these words. The word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the kingdom bringer. And John tells us he he made his dwelling among us. Uh, Jesus literally, he, he tabernacled with us. Jesus is the fullest expression of God's presence. Fullness of grace, radical love, radical acceptance, fullness of truth, radical holiness, radical perfection. 
Don't you see God says, uh, enter my presence, enter my kingdom, bring a sacrifice. Jesus tells us, I did for you. So you will never have to bring a sacrifice again so that right now you would know that you are clean and whole in me. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. By seeing the radical truth that we needed a sacrifice, Jesus had to die. But also seeing the radical grace that God loved us so much that he was glad to die. That's how you enter the kingdom. That you know, no matter what has happened in your life, that Jesus loves you to the moon and back, as one of my favorite kid stories goes. But you're also so humbled to the floor that you would never ever believe that your works were the ground of your salvation. Have you entered the kingdom? Have you put your trust in the true king, Jesus himself, full of grace and truth? Here's how you know you have entered the kingdom. Jesus will start causing you to see your life in radically different ways. Um, I don't know if you have been to the doctor and, and the doctor asks you to sit down on the bench and then he pulls out the, um, this little rubber hammer with, with a little triangle on it and then he starts whacking your knee and what happens? Your, your leg just pops right up. And I remember as a kid when I would go to the doctor and the doctor would run this test on me and I would try my best to resist having my leg uh, to pop up and you know it speaks to something about me. I don't like being controlled. Um, I don't like being manipulated, and yes, I'm in therapy, in case you're wondering. Um, uh, but, but sure enough, uh, when it came to that time and he hit my knee, uh, my leg, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. It was instinctual. It shot up like a rocket. And, and in this moment, uh, this is what happens when you enter the kingdom. When you begin to follow Jesus, these priorities will begin to change in you instinctually. You cannot help it. They just begin to pop up within you. You begin to live in the kingdom, what John Ortberg calls making up there, come down here. Those are the questions that we will begin to ask. How do we make heaven become more and more a reality on this earth? How do I make up there, come down here? Well, I'm excited. I'm grateful that we get to share the story of Livia in our church, 10 years old, and how she has been trying to make up there come down here. So watch this video. And I'm in fourth grade. I heard about Next Steps class when I was in my Sunday school. In the Next Steps class, we learn more about Jesus. And it's a place where you can really make your faith your own. We learned about the parable of talents, where we each received a certain amount of money, which we were supposed to multiply by using our talents. I decided to use my money and make the honey oat bread for the Kalea family. I learned a little more about the Kalea family because they also go to ward. The youngest is baby Constance. She was born with trisomy 18. And because of this, she spends a lot of time in the hospital. I really wanted to help their family out. 
I was surprised because so many people in my class, they were like, oh, I'd love to help them. How much is it? I could volunteer. I want me to come over and help you. So I was really happy that they all also felt so um, they really wanted to help that family. My favorite part is where you get to like just squish all the honey in there and then we'd mix it up. We weren't expecting so many orders and after selling and baking 84 breads, we noticed we raised $515 and it was also pretty stressful because of school and once I get home I got to do like my homework, sometimes I'd have activities after it and it, we all had to squish the bread baking in between when I come back from school, bake the breads, make the doughs. It's even though we made so much bread, we found it was worth a lot because we know this means a lot to the family. One thing I learned from this was that you don't have to be special or super rich to think you're worthy of being in God's kingdom or helping out. You could just smile at a person or make them a small nice card and that could change their world. I love those words from Olivia. You don't have to be special to live in God's kingdom. And our Next Step students have really showed us how to make up there come down here. Some raised money for birthday bags for kids who are homeless and hurting so that they could have a birthday cake on their birthday. Some raised money for Alzheimer research some for an autism program, saying, how can I make up there come down here? There are people in our church caring for a disabled spouse, caring for a disabled parent, serving with selfless care, making up there come down here. There are people in our church tutoring in the city, running for clean water, caring for those who've been trafficked. God, how do we make up there come down here? And you don't have to be special to live in God's kingdom. All you have to say is, God, have your way on the earth. Have your way in my life. Make up there, come down here through the kingdom bringer, Jesus himself. This morning, as we close, the simple question you must ask yourself is, where is God calling you? And will you put your trust in this king, Jesus himself, the perfect picture of grace and truth. Let's pray. And so, Father in heaven, we thank you for your kingdom, the only place we will find rest, and that your kingdom is full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you that we enter through Jesus as we put our trust in him and we seek to make up there come down here. Lord, have your way on the earth. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the church said this morning, amen, amen.